All right. Well, we're going to go back to Revelation, book of Revelation. And I believe I may have said chapter 7, verse 1, but 8, verse 1 is where we see the seventh seal. I think I may have said last week chapter 7, but I was wrong if I did. Um, Let's go chapter 7, and I'm just going to read through this passage, and then we'll pray, and we'll look at specific uh, points here. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the of the earth so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or in, on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Let's jump down to verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and, and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches, were in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in the white robes, who are they? And where have they come from? I said to him, my Lord, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. They will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the lamb in the, uh, in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away, wipe every tear, sorry, God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we see this great song of salvation to you, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us, what you've done for every generation. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week's passage, we ended uh, with, with the the great day of, of the wrath of the Lamb has come, and who is able to stand? We ended looking at those who were stubborn, even though they recognize in this uh, exclamation, in this passage, that God or the Lamb is the one who is dishing out wrath. They should repent, but they do not. And oftentimes, when I look at the book of Revelation, 
and I think about the tribulation, I think of those with those stiff necks, their stubborn hearts, those who have been blinded by, by the prince of the power of the air. And I think how catastrophic that is. That at every turn of God's judgment, it's not a wake-up call for these people. And I forget about the ones that will be saved. The ones that will be saved. God is not done after the church age. He is not done saving people. Praise the Lord for that. To note other scholars' thoughts on this passage, some say there will be a great revival or a great number saved like that which we have not seen yet. There are variable reasons for this. One, because of the sealed 144,000 Israelite servants of God. Second, because of the judgments of God. And third, because of God's great continued grace. Praise God for His great continued grace. Amen? And so, in this passage, another key thing that we see, starting in chapter 4, chapter 5, and here again is worship. Right? Did you see that here in this passage? A song of salvation to our God? And then there's continued worship of God? And so I want to challenge you. We've talked about increased devotion. That increased devotion also means increased worship to our gracious God who saves. And so let's break this down briefly. There's a lot that, again, we won't be able to touch on. But I do encourage you, um, there's a lot that I have not taken the time to expound upon. Many of you have been rooted in solid biblical teaching for many years, and I haven't needed to. But there is a lot of bad teaching about the end times. There is. There's a lot of solid churches that believe... Uh, and are very sound in their theology when it comes to, to salvation or soteriology and many other aspects, but fall apart when it comes to uh, the end times. Prophecy is not just about, it's not a promise, or it's not a, sorry, I said that wrong. Scratch that, everybody. It is a promise. It's not a prediction, Merely a prediction, it is a promise. All right, I woke you up, I hope, with my misspeak. But prophecy is not only about the promises that will take place, but also speaking the truth. When you look at the prophets in the Old Testament, that is true. A lot of the things that the prophets did was speak truth, repent, right? But there is also the promises of God that will take place. And so here we stand, and we see uh, because of the days that are pronounced, you know, when you get halfway through, it says in so many days it go goes, and then this takes place. Obviously, as well as seeing after these things, well, there's something, then after these things, and it's, it's a change in John's perspective and, and view of the vision, but it's also after so it is chronological. All right, anyway, here we go. God's grace, 
while I, I'm backing up, chronological, yet while we read through some of these things, there is some backing up and saying some of these things are going on at the same time as we see the seals. And so don't let me confuse you there, okay? But God's grace what we see here in the, the first reason to worship God from this passage is because of God's grace over the sealed servants in verses 1 through 8. And we have the 144,000 Israelites, and these are Israelite sealed servants, and it goes through uh, verses 5 through 8, what tribes? There's 12,000 from each tribe. But let's first note in this passage... First, we need to understand in this passage that uh, there's a pause. Uh, Josh, would you click the next slide? I don't know if he's there. There is a pause. And so the pa there's a pause, and why is there a pause? There's a pause to ensure their protection, the protection of the 144,000. There's a lot of little details we could get into, but I'm not going to. I, I do believe these people are protected from God's judgments and from the Antichrist and those against God. Now, not all believers, tribulation saints, are protected. They may be protected from certain things, but there may be a result of something else uh, from the the wrath of the lamb from the judgments that they die from those as well as from uh, being killed as, as martyrs. But here we see that these 144,000 Israelites, uh, they're sealed. Therefore, they are protected from the wrath of the lamb. Uh, what do we see in this pause, though? There's four corners. The four corners that it refers to here, some say, oh, well, this is not scientific at all. The, the world's not flat. Let me ask you, when you look at your phone and you get out your map, uh, oftentimes still, unless you turn your map on Google, Google Maps, use your two fingers, you can get all switched around, and then north is some other direction. But always when we look at a map, what is up? North, right? What's down? South. East. West on a flat piece of paper that doesn't mean we believe in a flat earth. Where does wind come from? Oftentimes from the north, if it's from the south, it'll blow the hook in the fish mouth, right? Uh, east, we catch the least, the west is best, right? If you're a fisherman. So, one of those directions or a variable of those. And what we find here is a pause on everything. It's also kind of a judgment. So if you don't have wind, you probably don't have rain or anything else that's taking place. But here we have, hey, there's a pause until they have the mark or the seal of the Father upon them, the seal upon them. We find in other passages uh, that like, in Ezekiel 9, 3 through 6, where, where the Lord God sends his angel to mark them in Jerusalem, and those who are marked are spared from the judgment in that passage. We could also think about the, the marks on the doorposts of the blood during the Passover. So it means God's protection over them. And here we have in this passage of chapter 7, also, not only a pause, but there's this parenthesis where the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, there is this great thing taking place in 
the tribulation, that is, the saving of the tribulation saints. The sealed are literally 12,000 from each tribe in Israel. That does not mean it's held to simply 144,000 saved, but these are the specific servants of God who are going throughout the world proclaiming the message of the gospel during this time. There are differences in this passage when you go from verses 5 through 8. There are differences here uh, of the tribes that are mentioned. Uh, It does not negate that, that this it does not negate that this is literal. In the Old Testament, there are 19 different ways the 12 tw- tribes are listed. Even if Levi is listed instead of Dan here, there will be a millennial blessing for the tribe of Dan. But the tribe of Dan, if you go back in the Old Testament, is one of the worst tribes there was in rejecting God and following pagan worship. But no, there is no so-called missing ten tribes. Some of you are like, whatever. They were never lost. Look at Matthew, write down Matthew 19.28. Matthew 19.28, Luke 22.30. Luke 22.30 and James 1.1 1, 1, and see what the New Testament says about a thought that the ten tribes are lost. There were representatives from the ten tribes that intermingled with the two southern tribes. That's what I believe. Just look at Paul. What tribe was he from? Wait, it was Benjamin, wasn't it? Anyway, there's others. (laughs) No, the church has not replaced Israel. That's the key point. The church has not replaced Israel. We have been grafted in, but we have not replaced Israel. I think that's important for us. But this pause is for the protection of 144,000. His grace is to his servants. I think more important than what I just went over is that these 144,000 are faithful followers. If you would jump to Revelation 14, verse 1 through 5. Go with me to Revelation 14, 1 through 5. Let's see what kind of people these these, uh, sealed are. Then I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name and the name of his Father written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder, and the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. These are the ones who have not been defiled, here verse 4, with women, for they have kept themselves chaste. They are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been pure purchased from among men as first fruits of God and, the lamb, and to the Lamb, and no lie was found in their mouth. They are blameless. I believe from the very beginning, even before the sealing, they are servants of the Lord God. They turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are sealed by Him, and they are sealed for a purpose. But notice, they're faithful followers. They're morally pure. They're undefiled. Their undefiled character is because of their devotion in Jesus. They're the cream of the crop. 
yet they're saved. Yet they're saved. They're not saved by their good works or their moral purity. In verse verse 4, they were purchased. How are they purchased? By the blood of the Lamb. It never changes. Salvation does not come through works of righteousness that we have done. Titus 3, 5. The same remains throughout the tribulation. There must be faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are servants, though. That's what I've spent the least amount of time on is the most important. They're servants. And I believe they go around proclaiming the message of the gospel during the tribulation, which leads to what we read next. But we should give increased worship to our gracious God who saves. God's grace is is what? Is unmerited favor towards those who, who do not deserve it. That is, we haven't, cannot earn it. We don't deserve it, right? But we receive his forgiveness, his love, because he gives us grace. You know, it's important for us to remember that We are not better than anyone else, but we are saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ through His grace. But we are saved to do good works. Not by good works, but to do good works. The second reason to worship Him is in verses 9 through 14, God's grace through the judgments. Okay, so here I want you to notice in this passage, He has grace to save many. And after these things, so John's attention or the vision changes and it is after the sealing and preaching of the 144,000, there's this grace. God gives John the grace in grabbing his attention to see this truth and then God gives grace to those who are in the tribulation so that they may believe and God gives them grace so that they are set before the throne in this passage. And God gives them grace so that all these Gentiles, along with the other Israelites, are saved throughout the world from every tribe, from every nation, of all peoples and tongues. They were standing before the throne. And so God's grace allows them and purifies them so that they can worship him in verse 9 before the throne. So his grace purifies them. What do they wear? They wear white robes, robes that show celebration, right? Biblically, when we look at these robes or even in uh, uh, pagan cultures like Rome, they were used for celebration. Robes displayed the purity of these people. Robes displayed also their belonging, they belonged. What were they? What were in their hands? Palm branches. What are we coming up to here in about a month? Less than a month, right? Before Easter, we have Palm Sunday. They were worshiping and, and celebrating the entry, the grand entry of the Lord Jesus Christ. So palm branches are used in worship and in celebration. Celebration really about deliverance. They're also used to show joy. 
And so they sang a salvation song to God. They praised God for the salvation that he gave. Note verse 11. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their face before the throne and worshiped God. Why were they worshiping God? Well, they sang, you know, about in verse 12 how great God is in all these things, but also because of the salvation that these people received. And we could look up Luke 15, 7 and Luke 15, 10. Luke 15, 7 and 10. Over one lost sinner, there is great celebration in heaven. We also see here the 24 elders again and the four living creatures. Not only celebrating, but more importantly, worshiping, falling down and worshiping the Lord God for what he has done. Verse 13 through 14, uh, there's a question that is given to draw John's attention to the great reality that they, the tribulation saints, have been saved by the blood of the Lamb. And I want you to note the tribulation saints are a distinct group. We cannot spiritualize everything that takes place in the tribulation or what we read here in the, gospel, in the Revelation, the book of Revelation, the unveil, unveiling. Because it involves all the martyrs of the tribulation. Are there martyrs today? Yes, but they're not tribulation martyrs. There will be some who do not take the mark of the beast, who remain faithful and look to the Lord God, who are not martyrs. They will be ushered into the millennial kingdom. And so the tribulation saints, I believe, are all those who die, whether because of their faith at the hands of the enemy or die because of something else that has taken place during that horrific time. You know, we may look at all of this and think, well, why would God even do this? Why would this be a promise? Not that there would be those saved, but that there would be the judgments at the end of the age. Well, it involves the reality that oftentimes what C.S. Lewis said, that the worst thing could be is eternal condemnation. The safest road to hell is a gradual one, the gentle slope and soft underfoot without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Would we rather people spend eternity in hell or that God would wake them up in a severe way and they would believe? I would like to see them have eternal life. I think it's a good question for us to ask ourselves when we see the things in this world. We need to pray that the gospel is clearly understood, but that they would repent and turn to him. But what is better, eternal condemnation or temporary suffering with eternal bliss? Which is better? The temporary suffering with eternal bliss, if you didn't get it, right? And because of that, we can give God increased worship because of his gracious love. Finally, another reason to worship is God's grace for tribulation saints. Look at 15 through 17. 
This here I want you to notice that his grace covers them in these verses here. That is, they serve him in his temple, the temple in heaven. There will be a temple in the millennial kingdom. There will not be a need for a temple in the new heaven and new earth in Revelation 21-22. But they have a wonderful service to him. Some of us say, well, yeah, I'm not much of a singer. I'm not much of... You know what? One of the greatest blessings that we could have is a great connection with our God and our Savior. And that's what they have in their worship. There's nothing better. They are protected by him. He, he tabernacles over them. They're protected. He covers them. There's also, we find in this passage, grace not only to cover them, but grace to shepherd them. He will lead them. He will provide for them. He will heal them. He will care for them. From that point on and on into eternity. I think it's pretty easy for me to see the bad in every situation. Now, what's the first thing you see when you're, you know, you get a flat tire? I'm going to be late. This is wor- bad. This is horrible, right? It is a bad situation. Of course I'm going to see the bad, Pastor Lee. Uh, have you ever had the ability to see the good in it? Oh, so-and-so stopped and talked to me on the road. I hadn't seen them in a long time because I got a flat tire. Who knows what we may have missed because we got a flat tire. There's a lot of, that's pretty menial, right? That's pretty trivial. Some of you are suffering through things that are extreme, heart-wrenching, extremely difficult. But do you have a Savior? Do you have eternal life? Do you have a Savior who is present with you? Have you received the grace of God? God's grace. I receive that which is good for which I could not earn and did not deserve. That is good, right? We kind of hurried through this passage, you know, and when we look at the sealed 144,000, whether they'll be, you know, I think they'll live through the whole tribulation, but some uh, may not agree with that. It doesn't really matter who they are, they're servants proclaiming the message so a great number of people from every nation and tribe believe. What are we doing today to ensure that the message gets out. What are you doing? Are you praying? Hope so. Are you taking advantage of the opportunities God gives you? I miss some. How about you? Praise God for His grace when I mess up. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that from your word we say, see even that in the future during a very horrendous time that you are displaying your grace and you're proclaiming your message to the masses. We thank you, Lord, that you have, have sent your Son, Heavenly Father, to die on the cross. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and dying on the cross 
to pay for the penalty for our sins so that we could have forgiveness, full forgiveness, and eternal life, and a relationship with you. And pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here today who has never turned to you, confessing their sin, asking you uh, for forgiveness, asking you to come into their life, asking for that, that eternal life and that relationship with you, that they would do so today. Pray, Lord, that, that those who, who have, that each one of us will walk out with renewed enthusiasm to live for you, knowing that we've been called to, to such a time as this for a specific purpose, just as those in this passage that we've read will be called to their time. Help us to remain faithful. Help us to take advantage of every opportunity. And Lord, we pray that your message will be clearly heard. Not only throughout the world from the missionaries, but from us. Thank you, Lord, for your grace that you would use us uh, to reach the world. In Jesus' name, amen. When our youngsters come forward to take up this morning's offering,